You're listening to Fragments, a new podcast about dementia. Fragments takes a human approach to learning more about dementia. We hope this podcast acts as a stop on your journey with this disease, which we have learned is as unique as the people who live with it. We are definitely not the experts, but each episode we will sit down with one on the front line of dementia care. This week we were lucky enough to speak to Rosa Peterson, who is living with dementia. Rosa was fundamental in co-creating the Every Third Minute and co-wrote a short play that was part of the festival. This conversation was supported by Nikki Taylor, who is the Theatre and Dementia Research Associate at Leeds Playhouse. We had the opportunity to speak to Nikki before we met with Rosa. During this chat we learned about her work and how she became an expert in this field. So I started working with older people when I was 18. Um, as a community care assistant, so I was helping people who were living in their own homes and needed help with maintaining their independence, whether that was personal care or cleaning or shopping. So I did I did that for a while, um, and then moved into care management. Um, so I I've experienced working in care environments in people's own homes, but also in um, care homes, um, and I absolutely loved working in that environment I thought it was a completely rewarding career and something that is usually fairly undervalued. Um, was so there it, anything specific which led you to seek it out at 18 or? No I was I was looking for a part-time job and I in the local paper I saw an advert and you needed to have your own car and they were going to train you in an MVQ in care and I thought that right. sounds all right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was very serendipitous. It wasn't a, a grand plan, um, and I ended up doing doing that for three or four years, working for the same company, um, and gaining qualifications in care, getting to know um, how to work with people, what the challenges were, what the challenges were for social workers who were trying to put care plans in place for people who maybe didn't think they needed support um, it was absolutely fascinating and I loved it um, and I did I did that um, until I went to university and I studied visual arts at university um, but it was always socially engaged practice so I continued um, working in community arts in the local theatre uh, working with young people who were um, excluded or at risk of offending and just kind of building my skills in community arts and then um, when I graduated I, I carried on working as a carer throughout university as well which I, I really enjoyed and I got to know some people really really well and I saw things change for people and you know it's you feel very invested in the lives of the people that you're caring for when you're, you're seeing them on a regular basis um, so after university I, I worked for a a local authority running an arts and health programme for older people and I did that for a few years and built up um, opportunities for people who were in ex-mining communities um, to lead lives that were engaged in their community that were focused on um, kind of physical activity but also fulfilling creative opportunities as well um, and again, I absolutely loved doing that. It was working with a real range of people, many of whom had never had the opportunity to, to 
take part in something that involved performing on a stage um, people who'd never really danced in a you know in that kind of setting yeah. people might have danced when they were younger but the thought of going to a dance class to improve your health and your well-being wasn't really on the cards for them they were much more likely to go to the local club mm-hmm. um, and just sit and yeah, chat absolutely. so it was something about energizing people and, and giving them a different outlets and it was it was really successful i worked with about 400 older people a week on that project oh my gosh um, yeah it That's was a huge yeah. amount of people just generally not. but let alone older people as well wow yeah amazing. it was across a lot of different communities but communities with a, a lot of different issues are, yeah. around um poverty and levels of engagement um and very poor um health inequalities as well so and i did that until i applied for and got the job here at the Playhouse so um, I've been working at Leeds Playhouse for 15 years now Um, but I originally saw the job advertised in the Guardian they wanted a community development worker and a community development officer and that's um, what I've been doing everything I've been doing was community development and um, based in communities that I found absolutely fascinating so yeah then I moved up to Leeds and started working, running lots of different community projects, including Heydays, which is a big flagship community project for older people. Um, and in that, we were getting 300 to 400 older people on one day. <laughs> so it was, yeah, yeah the scale big was numbers. there. <laughs> uh, but also um, learning disability projects, yeah. um, community development, yeah, a, a real range. Um, so I've always worked with older people and I have always really enjoyed learning from them and getting a kind of solid perspective on life from people who've lived a lot longer than I have. Yeah. So while I was working at the Playhouse, I went to um, Bradford University to do a master's in dementia studies because I'd noticed things changing for a lot of um, Heydays members and I was putting things in place to try and work with those changes rather than seeing people fall by the wayside and um, some people were really struggling to engage in the activities that we were offering so I felt that we needed to change what we were offering rather than expect them to fit into a, a kind of set pattern of activity um, so I did my masters alongside working and um, learned a lot had a really great grounding in theory around um, dementia dementia care what people with dementia are capable of um, and yeah that's led me to specialize in dementia specifically and um, so I'm now doing my PhD at Leeds Beckett the Centre for Dementia Research and I'm looking at creative co-production with people living with dementia so how we can treat people with dementia with the respect and the status of an expert in their lived experience and what that brings to our practice as artists. Um, so that's something that I'm, I'm really keen should be used more. Are there, because um, speaking about myself on this project, uh, I've noticed a lot of the things I thought about dementia were, were wrong. And I think I've got them from just overhearing and seeing maybe them misrepresented in, mm. in places. And, you know, for example, I thought it was, it was just to do with memory. I didn't realise mm. there were loads of other areas of um, well, I suppose it is a it's a degenerative disease which affects the brain, so yeah. everything from perception and 
Um, are there, have you found you still come across those misconceptions quite a lot um, when you're working within the arts but people who might not be on the, your specific projects to do with dementia so other people in other organisations in buildings or is that a challenge? Um, I do think it's a challenge I think dementia is an incredibly stigmatised condition um, there's a lot that people still need to understand and obviously there's varying levels of, yeah. of understanding um, I think when I started working in arts and older people you know, many years ago there was a small number of people doing it and it wasn't a particularly kind of respected field it wasn't particularly you know people weren't knocking at the door to do that work and I think that there has been a huge shift um, in the last decade probably around working with arts and older people people seeing the benefits but also organisations recognising that older people actually use their facilities that they have a responsibility to to meet the needs of older people just in the way that they do with younger people um, or families or whatever community that you're um, trying to engage with so I think there's been an explosion of, of work with older people um, and alongside that a lot of um, organisations have started being interested in working with people living with dementia um, I do think a lot of those attitudes around dementia is you know everyone who's who gets old gets dementia it's oh, forgetfulness yeah, I, I thought, it's, well, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was uh, almost an inevitable part of I didn't realise it was actually a specific disease which isn't it doesn't have to be part of ageing yeah. and likewise having it isn't this sentence to misery you can live well with it um, which again I'm ashamed to say I thought it was yeah that, that was the case but, but these are the messages we're fed through the media through headlines that absolutely. are there to grab people's attention to reinforce ageist stereotypes to reinforce people with dementia as other um, to dehumanise them to place them as a burden on our healthcare services, not to see them as people at a different stage in life who still have plenty to offer. Um, but I think for some people the prospect of dementia is so scary that it's easier to other people with dementia say so they're not what like the reason us. Is, but I was thinking, is that what you think it is? Because you said it's changed quite a lot now, but almost like this work was almost a bit forgotten or maybe maybe it wasn't forgotten as such, but people didn't want to do it because mm -hmm. there's an inherent fear that maybe because we all get older and that people don't want to deal with it like uh, Anna's work on a project the grief series yeah. and often people don't want to deal Talk with anything grief, to do yeah. with death because again it's an inevitable part not that dementia is but ageing is but yeah. you know grief and death are an inevitable part of life and yeah. maybe people don't want to go there yeah it's interesting and I think what you were saying before Nikki about um kind of the messages that we receive in the media I think I've, I found it really interesting that um that the media is you know starting to use things like living well with dementia rather than mm -hmm. suffering but then so you see that commitment from the media to say we're going to talk about it in this way and then on the other side you see you read articles and it's still it's still there people are still talking negatively about about living with dementia and saying it's it's something that people are suffering with rather than ha you know it's there is this the person that's living with something rather than it just being all about that diagnosis i think that's 
that's a really interesting thing for for us as how we talk about this mm. generally but mm. also on on this podcast and with people that we're meeting on a daily basis about making sure we're always using positive words mm. to describe the people that we're working with i think language is an incredibly powerful thing yeah. and if we are constantly fed the tragedy narrative around yeah, dementia absolutely. that it is only about decline loss disintegration um, all these these words that are you know yeah. around the devastation of dementia and there's no doubt that it is an incredibly challenging condition mm. and it impacts hugely on the person who's living with it and people who are supporting them um, but we do need to find different ways to talk about it because if we only hear that it's about devastation and decline mm. then people are more likely to not disclose that they've got it not seek the support to live a better life with yeah, dementia absolutely. people can become very isolated and ashamed and there's no shame in developing a brain disease that's not anybody's fault yeah. and it is up to us as a society to address the way that we we talk about it and that will impact on people's experience totally. that must have a knock-on effect for uh, friends and family of sufferers as well mm. right if if they know that their grand or, or aunt or whoever is coming along to the playhouse and engaging with all these arts and perhaps maybe they weren't before mm. so there actually is a positive thing that's happening to them then it might make them think differently about the aging process yeah um, I think I think when people because quite often we will have a person living with dementia and a supporter coming to an activity together um, people can attend independently or they can bring somebody with them um, and quite often that's a partner or a spouse sometimes an adult child comes along um, to support their parent but the thing about being in a creative activity is that you are equaling the playing field a little bit it's because in creativity there's no right or wrong answer it's about expressing yourself so if somebody sits and whistles for the for the whole session then that's an incredible offer of creativity yeah. to the group um, they might not be following the rules of a specific task but they're offering something and it's up to us as artists to work with that yeah. and I think for a, a family member to see that not only is that okay and it's not something to be socially embarrassed about because a lot of um, responses from family members comes from embarrassment mm. because people with dementia are struggling to negotiate those social norms like they might have done previously. I, th I think it's incredibly difficult for family members to accept that the person they love has developed dementia and that things are changing yeah. because as a family member you've known that person mm. for all those years mm. you can identify the losses and unfortunately for a lot of people that does cloud the chance to see what people still have to offer. Yeah. I'm just thinking about my family and like kind of getting those those people who are living with dementia or having those experiences or caring for those people into a creative environment is like the biggest challenge mm -hmm. I think as a family that we would face or that kind of just regular people who are never who've never done anything like this before or never um, seen the arts other than 
going to watch a piece of theatre on the stage and that's kind of fair and it's a very distant involvement how do you do you think it's it's do you find that you have to convince people to come along to things or does it feel like the people who come maybe already have an understanding of of how the arts is used or in general no in a lot of the people I work with haven't engaged with the arts before and I think that's something that's really interesting about you know dementia doesn't discriminate yeah and you can be any social class um, any culture any different background and you can get dementia yeah so what people are usually seeking if they have got to a point where they've accepted if they've got a diagnosis accepted the fact that they are living with dementia um, and they're looking for opportunities to stay engaged in life then quite often the motivator might not be the art form it might be a social group or the chance to get together with people who are going through the same thing where they can feel that their experience is normalized mm. rather than being the couple who can't keep up with the activity that they've always been part of i had a, a question which kind of flagged up but it actually first came into my head when you mentioned about being at university and still um working in care and i think it's quite a relevant question for people who are um, relatives or, or close to sufferers mm. how do you manage the um you know, we're all sponges in some respects. How do you manage some of the negative sides of it? Look, I mean, uni is a tough time for anyone mm. to think that, or did it have the opposite effect of making you realise that you've got a lot more to be grateful for? Or but were there times where it's hard to have that empathy not um, have a negative effect? Or do you find you have to manage that? Um, or have you kind of just learn as you've... That's a really interesting question. I don't think I've ever considered that. Um, I've never not worked so there wasn't a question that I wouldn't work while I was at university yeah, yeah. Um, and it was what I'd been doing so it felt natural to, to carry, carry on. on it certainly wasn't the kind of job that most of the other students were doing like they were maybe work working in bars is, yeah, yeah. Um, so there was definitely a level of responsibility there you know if you're responsible for going and getting somebody up on a Sunday morning then you can't be out on the lash the night before yeah. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah I think because I sometimes think who cares for the carers yeah is something which is on my mind sometimes because you know that if they've got the own personal lives and things are tough and then it's a really emotionally tough day at work mm. and they go home does that ever impact you here or definitely I think um, it's interesting you should mention that because I'm part of my PhD I'm writing around, up around emotional labour um, and that's something that through my PhD research I've become very aware mm. of as an element of what I do day to day but yeah there was an added element when I was researching and practicing at the same time. Um, So my research project was focused on the Every Third Minute Festival, which was a festival of theatre, dementia and hope here at the Playhouse in Mm. um, 2018. Um, And it was an 18 month process of co-producing a festival, evaluating it and and sharing it with people. Um, And it was, 
emotionally very tough to maintain both the responsibility for the festival and for all the people with dementia and their supporters who were involved, um, but also my own research and my own um, kind of processing of all of all of that um, at the same time for a prolonged period. So yeah, I think there is a lot of there is a lot of um, emotional labour and a lot of energy that goes into kind of absorbing what people are mm. going through. And sometimes it is really difficult. You know, it's it's an area where people are experiencing lots of changes, sometimes in a very short period of time, very unexpectedly. Mm. Um, you know, people might be going along okay for a little while and then there's a point of crisis where they really, really need extra support or things just aren't working out in the way that they had done previously. So yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot that you take on um, and you think about it. It's not something that you don't think about when you go home. It's not, not something that you can completely switch off from. Um, and even now, I remember some of the first people that I cared for when I was a community care assistant 25 years ago. I can remember those people and I still think about them. Because you're connecting with another human being and what they're going through it transfers something to you and you learn from them you learn from their experience and you connect emotionally with it and I think it's such an honour to learn from people in that way because people are letting you in at a very vulnerable point in their lives um, and hopefully what you can do is to work with that to help them feel more in control of what they're doing or more celebrated for the things they still can do um, but yeah it certainly it certainly has an emotional toll yeah yeah I just just jumped into medicine I read a book recently and there was a link between empathy and burnout and that people who are overly empathetic all the time actually uh, it really impacts their ability to do other things in their life sometimes mm -hmm. if there's like a fine balance that you have to kind of manage um, I think for most people it's it, it's easier to manage but if you're specifically working in care it's uh, it must be yeah a challenge but emotional load a labor did you say emotional labor it's yeah. quite an interesting way of I've never thought yeah. about that concept that yeah. you are it's kind of a it is that though isn't that's the perfect way to describe yeah. the, those sort of those feelings that you have and I think I was really interested why I always think about when you work in care, and, and I've never done it, but also working with kind of older people in general and supporting them in a way um, that feels different to how you would support somebody else. I think there's, there's, there's always going to be that emotional attachment because the way that you have a relationship with someone who, who is requiring some sort of support mm. feels totally different. And I think. Yeah, I, I I find it amazing that you can you can support people and feel emotionally connected, and then still I don't know still have that friendship relationship mm. as well. And I think there's something really beautiful about having supporting someone emotionally, but feeling part of their life in a in, in a different sort of relationship as well. Mm. And I think I've seen you with lots of older people, and I feel like they you support them in an, an amazing kind of a way that they, they really need but also that you're a friend to them above everything else and I think that's something that a lot of people 
maybe don't always think about is that friendship mm -hmm. is just as important as supporting people emotionally or physically and you know having that relationship with them in yeah, that way absolutely we all need to feel that people are interested in us absolutely. and that you know when if you need help with getting dressed or using the toilet or having something to eat then that is that's looking after your physical needs yeah. and and the the needs that will keep you alive but actually the things that nourish you and kind of really look after your soul are conversation physical connection mm -hmm. that isn't task focused that isn't about drying somebody or yeah. um you know helping them to pull their tights up it's about taking someone's hand or um, having a little dance with somebody. And I think that's something that care is incredibly undervalued for the amount of creativity and improvisation that is used on a daily basis by people working in care homes or in community settings, um, usually on minimum wage, with feeling fairly undervalued in, in cultures that don't always support people fully and carers are trying all the time to, to work with people's dignity often in systems that don't give them a lot of dignity yeah, if that makes yeah, sense I totally. think there's constant power dynamics at work mm. um, when you're looking at caring for or being cared for um, and people who work in care we need to consider the power dynamics there as well yeah. um, and that's different, of course, to people who are caring for somebody because it's somebody that they love and it's unpaid care. Mm. And again, the emotional labour of paid work often happens in your unpaid hours. So the time that you're processing what you've been doing that has had an emotional impact on you usually isn't during the time you're doing it. Yeah. It's when you get home or on the bus home or, yeah, you know, as you're, yeah, as you're really just... Yeah. winding down from the day mm. and I think it's really nice that you say that about them about care staff in terms of the creativity that happens on a daily basis because it is totally the case that we just expect them to deliver care and then also to be always friendly and always happy and person-centered all the time and yeah to, to know that actually those moments are, are they're doing those moments every what, you know, the minute they take somebody out of their chair and they're walking someone to a different room and they're having that conversation, we, we don't, that in itself is quite draining and taxing and doing that with 25 people in the space of an hour, moving people from room to room, we forget that, that just that moment is, is difficult, let alone the, the whole other side of the physical care that they have to deliver. And I think that's really, it's really important for us to recognise that and I don't know yeah they're, they're the real heroes in society aren't yeah. they I've always thought that I mean we our attention as a society is often on actors and you know sports stars and I'm not saying that they should be devalued mm. but what there's pe hidden heroes every day all around in cities and towns across the country are doing incredibly valuable work and like you said don't always uh have the dignity they deserve in, in their own lives and in the treatment they get and yeah it's something we need to change but it's easier said than done I think. Mm. this uh is a
question which I grappled with last week when we went and spoke to the um, some of the residents, and it reminded me of so my grand had schizophrenia, and I remember when we went to visit her, um, I was always advised to uh, go along uh, with whatever she was believing at the mm-hmm. time, and these were things which had no root in reality often. Um, but depending on where she was with her medication, it was um, whether to uh, not disturb her, so go along with it, um, and. I noticed I was unsure how best to deal with um, some of the things which came up in the conversations and what the right thing is. And speaking of people from my own family who suffered as well, I'm not always sure if family members I have have dealt with it the right way. Mm. So I was wondering if there, I'm sure there's no hard and fast rule, but is there a way? And I'm sure intuitively you kind of sometimes can get the right way. I think. Um Approaches have changed over the last couple of decades. Um, there, there used to be an agreement on an approach called reality orientation, which was about getting people with dementia to focus on what time of day is it, what season is it, making sure that they were rooted in the here and now. Um, but that's kind of largely been overtaken now by what's called entering the reality of the person with dementia so if that person believes that they are a lot younger than they were or um, they're at a certain point in their life or they're talking about somebody um, very intently when you know that that person has died then obviously there are real challenges to that but the kind of general consensus is now that by by telling somebody with dementia that they're wrong um, and trying to give them information that they may not be equipped to deal with then you may be exacerbating that person's distress so if somebody's talking about a loved one who died and you say oh no they're dead then that person if they believe that person's alive then you're telling them some horrendous news that in that moment they are going to have to deal with is that real, is that person really dead the, the grief that comes with that, the distress that comes with that um, so because that part of their brain mm. does not retain the information that that person is no longer living so and potentially you're doing that multiple times in a, in yeah, a day yeah possibly and there's, you know, there's ways, there's strategies to handle that so rather than telling them they're wrong and that that person that they love is is dead you can invite them to talk about that person so you you don't agree or disagree but you invest time in the what's the focus of their attention right now which is if it's if it's a person um, who's died you could you know you can say well you tell me about them and then it matters less whether you're agreeing or disagreeing but you're entering a subject area that is important to them in this moment and 20 minutes later it might be something else that's important to them but by constantly reminding somebody that somebody is dead that feels quite an unkind approach and and these Mm. days would be done less Mm. hopefully (laughs) yeah I can understand where that might have came from and it's probably almost a denial of the condition mm. that maybe some people think if I keep telling it will, but... Yeah, maybe one, one time it will stick yeah, in their mind, yeah. yeah, and they'll remember, yeah. But, um, and, pe- and 
life feels and looks different for people with dementia from minute to minute, from hour to hour. So at, at one point, they may understand that that person's no longer around or, or the way that they express themselves might feel more in tune with the reality that you know, but half an hour later it might not. So it's, it's working with what that person is experiencing in the moment without purposefully lying to a person. I think that's yeah. when it becomes very problematic yeah. because if you follow a line of thought or a line of conversation with a person and you talk to them about somebody who's dead as if they are alive, then there's potential for distress to be caused that way as well. Mm. So I think that's that's interesting. I think mm. our, our natural reaction is to reassure somebody mm. and whether that be tell them, telling them something that they want to hear, it feels like you, you want to do that but also you have to kind of, yeah, it's, it's about, I think what you said is really interesting about buying into that reality, but also being aware of the fact that you, you're doing that, but maybe someone else an hour later and you will come in and say something that they that you didn't say to them and mm. that, that is more potential for stress and distress and upset. And I think that's, it's really hard, to, it's really difficult mm, to do hard. that. Yeah, you put me at ease a bit though. I think I was, I was actually just asking about the person they referenced. I think one lady kept asking, um, am I going to take it home? And it was raining outside, so I just said, oh, look at the weather, isn't it miserable? Mm. And then that that, uh, that worked and we talk about the weather and yeah. Yeah, you can, you can have the conversation, but you can redirect it. Yeah, yeah. So it's not focused on the facts, but more about the feelings around it. Mm. Um, That's a nice way of putting it though. You're responding to kind of the, not the truth in a sense, but what the truth for what they're feeling mm. in reality and trying to manage that yeah. in the best way possible. So if they're talking about someone, it's because that person's important yeah. to them. So if you can honor that, without misleading them or um, creating unneeded stress, then I think that's, um, that's the best approach. I remember you coming to the Playhouse for the first time. You came to um, try out our time, which is our weekly sessions um, on a Monday afternoon. And someone had told you that you should come and try it out. I don't know if it was your support worker or... Probably was, yeah. yeah. Or the Debbies. Or the Debbies. Um, but yeah, someone had said, come along, so you did. And I, re I remember you were really nervous about being <laughs> there. And yeah, you were, you were visibly really nervous. Um, you wouldn't really look at me that much or talk to me that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's different now, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> must be a bit like first day of school. Like, yeah. you know, it's always nerve-wracking trying... Trying something sort of new, so yeah. I know. Now you're used to it. Exactly. Now you're used to it. Yeah. But I suppose back then, you know, you, you'd only recently had your diagnosis and it was tough, wasn't it? You were you finding your feet. So used to diagnosis as well. Yeah, and starting something new at that kind of time, when you're already feeling low, is mm. really it's such a brave thing to do. Mm. Such a brave thing to turn up for something new. You are. You brave. are brave. I don't yeah. believe for a second that you're not. I don't oh. believe it. <laughs> the evidence suggests otherwise. Yeah, here you are in our park right now, me, meeting us for the first time. That's that's brave, right there. I think so, anyway. So yeah, and then you got involved in 
our time sessions and you just absolutely buzzed with creativity and poetry and imagination and had so many ideas and such a poetic way of saying and things and jet <laughs> we discovered jet didn't we through those sessions and jet do you want to say a little bit about who jet was jet was a black horse i used to ride oh wow yeah. so we did a play on him didn't we oh. yeah where did you ride him when you were younger yeah oh amazing where was that in leeds no it was that nottingham way nottingham wow I'm a little bit scared of horses, so I admire anyone that can get on a horse and ride them. Jeff was the only one I, only one I was allowed to ride. Oh, Nobody really? else could ride it because he was that strong a horse. Yeah. Yeah. So he was quite calm when you were riding him? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> quite the opposite. I know once we were riding and if you saw the dog, he was all right, but the dog barked, so he just went... Oh, amazing! And so, you did you say you wrote a play about Jet yeah. the horse? Yeah, I'm interested in what that was. About. Yeah, what what sort? What did you write? What, what was the story? It? So the the play was called A Horse Called Freedom. Freedom, that's it. Yeah, mm-hmm. forgot the name then. Yeah, it was. What's it now? It well, it came out of. You'd shared that story about Jet in the hour time sessions. Um, and then when we came to start to put together our festival of theatre and dementia, um, I thought of Rosa. We wanted to put together some short plays that were written by people living with dementia with the support of professional artists so that they could tell their story in a way that worked for you and because you shared that story about Jet and the person who was running the sessions at that time was Barney Bardsley who you found a really good connection with Um, so when it came to thinking about the the sorts of stories that might get told through these plays the sorts of people that might be involved um, you and Barney just clicked, didn't you? We did. We did. It was hard work, but we enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And you, and that was the starting point, wasn't it? That really strong memory of riding on Jet's back and the freedom that that gave you. Because it turned into a magic horse, didn't it? It oh. grew wings, you oh, see. Amazing. I love that. How did it end? Something to do with clouds, on it? Yeah, you were looking into the clouds and creating those images in, yeah. in the cloud. And we touched hearts and jet as well, didn't yeah. we? Mm. It was about... Hallucinations. Yeah. We discussed that, didn't we? Mm. Yeah. Lots of different things that yeah. you were, again, brave enough to share about your life. Yeah. I, I actually went to see it Did and you? I thought it was beautiful. They so, were all good. Yeah. They, mm. All of them were they amazing. Were they were I thought it was amazing. I heard... I, I watched you speak after about it as well, and I thought you spoke so wonderfully about the, 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 the about the play. Yeah, where I sat at the corner, I would face the stage. I know, but you did. I wouldn't face the stage either. No way. <laughs> but it was wonderful because I think it's really hard to talk about things that you create in in a way that's that's quite. It's, it's hard to explain how you came about the story and how to share that story, and I think it was 
you spoke about it so clearly. I thought it was wonderful. So I, I was gonna. I didn't know whether to tell you that I'd seen it because I didn't <laughs> want you to be shy about it. But it was beautiful. Oh, thank you. It was. We watched another actor do the same play. So that was um, a few months after the initial show at the Playhouse. Um, and then more recently than that, you wrote a poem. You and Barney wrote a poem about your stay in hospital. Oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. You, you made a brilliant poem. I'm interested to, to, yeah. to read that it's now. Yeah, the hallucinations I had on the ward, you see. Oh, wow. And there was, how many were on the ward? I think there was six of us. And we all got on brilliant. Oh, did we you? We all had a laugh. Thumbs up when you're okay. That you're not. You, oh, sort of okay. That one you're down. And that's what we did. We kept sending messages, and I said, "We've got. I'm on the boat ride. Who's coming with me?" So where did we go? Barbados. Oh, oh. nice. I'd like to go there. That sounds so we lovely. We ended up in Barbados on the rocky boats. Oh wow, <laughs> that's lovely. They just come in the nurse and tell us off because we were laughing that much <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Late night. Yeah. What sort of things do you get up to in, in our time then? Is it just different every Singing, week? Singing, dancing, laughing, <laughs> making mistakes. <laughs> that sounds great. What's your favourite? We do poetry, don't we? We do poetry, yeah. Mm. I miss that. Yeah. Would you like to do a bit more yeah. poetry again? Yesterday we used a lot of um, ribbons and kind that of expressive materials, didn't we? We did... Some mirroring with our ribbons. Did we? Yeah, we were. I was oh, copying I you. Hands, and then, yeah, but that was because Rosa, you really enjoy mirroring games, don't you? Where you you lead and someone follows, or you follow someone else. And yesterday, we did a similar idea of that, but with the ribbons, where you make a pattern with a ribbon, and then I followed you, and you followed. We did me. a whirlpool, didn't we? We did, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Were the ribbons all different colours? Yes, yeah, all different colours. Oh, lovely. Oh, it's my purple. Yeah. Yours matched your shoes. Yeah. That's what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> not, today. Good. not today. Not <laughs> you, today. You've got I'm a purple coat on, though. Yeah. See, your coat would have matched. <laughs> and is, is there, do you have lots of friends in our time? Is it kind of a, a group of people that it's go regularly? There's about six of us, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, we get on great. We all have a laugh together. We have a cry together sometimes. Yeah you've really openly spoken to lots of people through your involvement at the Playhouse about what it's like to live with dementia, what the frustrations are. You've been with it at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's funny about it? I don't know, I actually have the mistakes I make. Yeah. 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 Like leaving the pan on the stove and forgetting it's on. Oops, and then you burn your dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I've given up on that. It's microwave meals. Mm, yeah. But you, you learn and you adapt, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you have mm. to. How good is it for you, or how helpful is it for you, having someone like Rose, who's so open and, and good to talk to, when, when new people come in? or um, Yeah, does that, does that make your job a lot easier? Or? In, it's incredibly important that Rosa and others contribute in the way that they do I think I learned so much from Rosa and her generosity and the way that she supports other people in the group but also the way that she supports me in the work that I'm trying to do um, 
I honestly don't know what I'd do without Rosa. She is incredible. And the, the things that we've been able to achieve together, raising awareness, changing people's minds about what life with dementia can be like, I couldn't do that on my own. Mm. It's incredibly important to me that I'm always beside somebody with lived experience who can share with people exactly what life's like for them and give a, give a personal story, which is incredibly powerful and that's, that's the thing that changes people's minds and helps people see differently. And I think when Rosa is willing to put all her energy into not only sharing her story about life with dementia, but doing it so creatively. Yeah. And, you know, the, the amount of interviews that Rosa's done and the things that she's written that are available to people to learn about dementia, it's such an incredibly generous offer that Rosa's put out there for, for people to understand her lived experience, but also what life is like for so many other people. And we're not saying that it's always like that, because it changes, doesn't it? Is. And some days are good and some days are bad. And you, the thing that you always say is, each one of us is different. And that's so important to remember as well, that everybody has different likes and dislikes, different experiences, different symptoms. And together, an understanding of that it's not just one person's voices it's it's so many people's mm. voices part of us recording this is about um being able to share with people who who maybe have just at the start of their diagnosis or maybe have got family members who've just been diagnosed and we want to kind of have this that we can share with people so they can listen and, and hear how someone is living so amazingly well um, and that it's it's the start of something, it's not the end of something. And I think that's, we're really passionate about sharing that. And that's why we asked you to be on that, because I think you share that message so passionately and so importantly. Um, and that's what we hope that this recording can do for people is to listen and go, there's loads of things I can get involved with, or there's lots of things I can do to have a, a, an amazing rest of my life whatever that might look like whether that being creative or hugging trees or looking at clouds um and yeah i don't know if you wanted to say anything for anybody so every day is different you just carry on mm -hmm. you get a good day the next day can be the best day of your life you just carry on yeah doing things that you can do did I see recently it was uh, an anniversary of the first dementia friendly performance recently? Yeah, it's been five years since we did the first one. Oh my god, amazing. Which was for White Christmas. I don't know if you came to that one. We might have met just after that. Yeah, I think it was just after. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so five years of um, running dementia friendly performances. And they're, they're slowly growing with other theatres becoming mm. interested. Mm. There's some other theatres who are really committed to it. Um, but it is a growing thing. There's still only 4% of theatres that offer dementia-friendly performances. Wow, um, is that all? Yeah. So um, there's a lot more work to do to convince yeah. people. But with so many people affected by dementia in the country and 
you know, living across the country, we, we think that people should have the right to see theatre wherever they are and Absolutely. You know, their local theatres and art centres should be welcoming people with dementia in all kinds of ways. Um, mm. So we want to help nationally, we want That's everyone to get involved, don't we? And you've been involved in so many things where you've spoken to audiences and inspired people all the time Rosa. she's challenging you on your dates now, now. <laughs> well, at the festival when you um sat on stage and were terrified but you you did it um there were people in that audience from probably about 30 different theatres across the uk um and they listened to you and were definitely inspired by you and your story and the, you, you're planting little seeds every time Which you tell your story. Everybody should have the right to go. Yeah. But make it dementia friendly. Yeah. Because I think if it wasn't, a lot of people wouldn't go. Mm. And if you could say to someone um, who maybe is just at the very start of their journey and maybe a little bit nervous about what the next couple of years might look like, what would you want to say to as many people as possible? Join a group if you can and get out and meet people that's got the same so you can have a laugh, you can have a cry, but you just got to get on with life. Oh, that's a nice note to finish. Yeah, I think that's an amazing place to finish. Unless there's anything else that no, you want to say? So. No? I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for putting up with me. Oh, oh you, we've not put up with you at all. It's been, yeah, yeah, it's been so lovely to have you, and we're really grateful that you've come in and spent some time with us today. So, thank you. Huge thanks again to Rosa and Nikki. We've put all the links to the amazing arts activity they referenced in the show notes, should you want to find out more or recommend them to a loved one. Thanks. Bye.